Hi, this is a podcast of the best bits of Breakfasters for the week ending October 8th. Breakfasters is a Monday to Friday breakfast show broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia. Coming up on this week's podcast, you'll hear us talking about the benefits of having a dip in the ocean, maybe having a little sneaky beer beforehand as well, uh, and... Dr. Michael Mosley drops in to tell us about his new SBS series, Australia's Health Revolution. And for Tech Talk this week, we had Dan Salmon filling in for Vanessa Tohoka, talking about the Way Forward machine, aka wayforward.archive.org. Uh, we have a chat about jingles, some that we've made up for our children, some we make up for ourselves, uh, just jingles all day long. And Michael Harden chats to us on Food Interlude about anchovies and why they tear friends and families apart. We discuss things you uncover while moving house. And to round out the week, Alex Ward was our Friday funny bugger. Melbourne's own Triple R. Went for a drive over the weekend um, down to the beach, which was in my radius, which was great, and got the perfect car spot that was just overlooking the ocean. It was like, oh my God, brilliant. Because it was, you know, when it's you see the sun out and you're like, oh yeah, that's not too bad weather. But then you step outside and especially at the beach, it's freezing. Mm. Um, so we were parked there. I was like, oh, this is great. We don't have to get out of the car. We had coffees. Oh, we had- <laughs> don't have to get out of the car. I mean- <laughs> Yeah, literally, <laughs> didn't get out of the car. There were so many people there. It was, it was a little bit, it was interesting for people watching, uh, but it was also just a little bit daunting as to how many people. Um, and yeah, we had this perfect um, spot. And I've, I've said it before, but Winnie, uh, she's just had her vax, but she's not allowed to sniff grass or anything like that. So oh. it's so insane trying to... Winnie's a dog and the vax is parvo or something, is that right? Oh, yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. Um, so this... Yeah, <laughs> yeah not, a, not, a, not a child. <laughs> yes. No, he's a puppy. Um, but we had this great spot and we had coffees. like, oh, this is great. And um, an older a couple parked right beside us and I just turned my head, had a look over and, and the driver, the man, was just finishing a beer, probably in his 80s or whatever. I was like, oh, yeah, good on you. Have a good, have a good day. Um, he's got out of the car, done a little bit of a stretch, and then him and his wife have got into – he's got into his Speedo, she got into her bathing suit, and then they went out and, and had a dip. And I've got to tell you, it was freezing. Like, I, I don't know about the water. I'm assuming the water was 10 times colder than what it was like just standing. Well, I had the window down. That's how I know how cold it was. No, mm. I did stand out. I did get outside for a little bit. Um, but they just went out. Um, he, he complained a little bit about how many people were there and how it kind of ruined their daily routine of, of going for a dip in the ocean. Um, but they went out, went for a swim, come back and said, you know, hopefully it's not as busy tomorrow when they come back. So it's something that they do every day. Oh. Who cares if it's busy, mate? Yeah, yeah, what's, what's, what's the difference? difference? What's the difference to you? Yeah. So you just chugged a beer and you're having a swim. I know. Right. Focus on the good things in life. <laughs> I, totally. I know. Also, I don't think Dutch courage works for temperature and water. Like, I think it's yeah. if you have a beer, it makes it cold. I think it makes it cold and puts you at risk in, in other ways as yeah. well. <laughs> but impressive. Like, did you want to ask, well, I mean, do they go all winter? You know what? We actually went back. I went there twice on the weekend. Oh. Um, and... Saw them again. Really? Same thing. I was like, I go, oh, my God. I go, that's the same couple. Exact same routine. Finished a beer, got out of the car, went out, had a swim. Budgie smugglers? Budgie smugglers. Wow, Absolutely, yeah. Um, but then, so we were talking about, like, it must be exhilarating for them, I guess, if they're, if they're doing it every single day of their life, which I assume, going by doing it twice, two days in a row, I'm going to mm. assume they've been doing it every day of their life for the last 50 years. Um, <laughs> but we were thinking, maybe we'll give it a go next weekend, just Jump in the ocean, go for a swim. What else are we going to do? You know, 
Not not interested. Something you wouldn't do. Oh, I love the ocean, and I'll, yeah. I'll jump in. And I mean, Andrew's like a fish. We yeah, that's why we once, said that. Yeah, we once did a drive down from San. We did the Highway 101, the California, and oh yeah, drove from San Fran to LA. So we did like oh. stopping at beaches along the way, and it was cold for yeah. for California. Uh, and from San Fran all the way down, he just got in no matter what with the seals for a swim and I kind yeah. of started halfway down the coast but I loved it by the end of it I was sold on the idea that you just yeah. I, when we got more and more you, you kind of get more and more used to freezing yourself silly mm. is it exhilarating like afterwards I or during what, what part of it is good is my question the first bit is like you want to die yeah yeah mm. and maybe the first five minutes feels like that and then you go numb and then you feel at one at one with the world, and then you get out afterwards, and you feel like you've you like run up a mountain or it's something. Once you get dressed, yeah, it's rejuvenating. It's like taking a pill. Like if you could say to people, "Oh, here's this pill," you know, that makes you feel like this. You probably take it. It's easier. But yeah, right. Was he? I'm still hung up on this guy. Was he drinking his beer and his budgie smugglers? No. Um. He he got out of the car, and then the wife doesn't have a beer. No, she didn't. Mm. No, just him. He's just sitting in the. Just nursing a beer with your gut hanging over your budgie smugglers. And your... Why do you know he's a gut? He might have a six-pack. He might. Pubes flying out the side. All right. I don't need more of a visual. Well, he's, he's complaining about people. At the... They're allowed to yeah. be at the beach. So I've turned on him. <laughs> I'm going to do it this weekend, Are though. Budgie yeah. smugglers? I'm absolutely not. <laughs> Jesus. No, I am. I'm going to go in my bathers. Like, um... Oh, not a wetsuit? No, well, I don't have a wetsuit, but... I mean, I guess I could throw a T-shirt or a long sleeve, but I'm like, no, I'm going to go all in. I'm going in my bathers. Don't you feel um, like a child when you do that, though? It reminds me of being a child. Bathers. The sleep, like the, the T-shirt over oh, yeah, the bathers. Yeah. I've had to do it recently because, like, my bathers don't fit me anymore yep. post-baby. And so I was like, oh, maybe I should put a T-shirt over. And then I just felt like I was 10 years old when that was what Sun Smart was in the 90s. Yeah, that's right. Just <laughs> put a T-shirt on anyway. No, you should put a T-shirt on. No. Too warm. I'm- no. You can't wear a wetsuit. I mean, you're not going to, but you Do need you think to. It's embra- it is cheating. Yeah, it is, yeah. isn't it? If I'm, go- if I'm doing it, I'm, I'm going all in. So, yeah, no, I'm, I'm going to wear my one-piece bathing suit um, and... I don't know. What are you going to be in I there? I call bullshit. I don't think you can do You don't this. think I'm going to do it? Uh-huh. I think she will. <laughs> Thank you. I just I mean, pushed you over the edge now. You did. The challenge, yeah. I'm going to do it today. You're going to be in there freezing like, come on, Daniel. Do Daniel. Dr. Michael Mosley is an award-winning television journalist, producer, presenter and author of international best-selling books, The Clever Guts Diet, The Fast 800, Fast Exercise and The Eight-Week Blood Sugar Diet. He's been in Australia to helm the new series for SBS titled Australia's Health Revolution and who tells about it, the well-being juggernaut joins us now. Dr. Michael Mosley, welcome to Breakfasters. Good morning to you. Hi. Thanks for being here. Uh, revolution is a dramatic term. What what does Australia need to see Sure. Well, it is a dramatic term, but it's also, I think, relevant in this circumstances because I came to Australia to spread the message that type 2 diabetes, which is a nasty and generally progressive disease, can actually be reversed, put into remission uh, by a rapid weight loss diet. And the point of the series is to take eight brave Australians and uh, demonstrate that uh, their blood sugars can be improved, they can lose a lot of weight and generally get healthier in a remarkably short period of time. So I had just eight weeks with them to try and turn their lives around. And uh, you have to watch the series to see how it turns out. 
uh, but it was um, very emotional, uh, very moving, and um, I hope it really strikes a chord uh, with Australian viewers. Um, I think it's an important message because type 2 diabetes, along with obesity, are two major problems in Australia as they are around the rest of the world. Yeah, and, and while in the country, is it fair to say you've had a beef with Diabetes Australia? Well, we had a chat, certainly. And uh, at the time, uh, I was questioning the fact that they were still describing uh, type 2 diabetes as essentially an irreversible progressive disease. But since then, they've kind of changed the... Sorry, I'm about to have a cough. <coughs> Not a COVID cough, just a cough. <laughs> <coughs> and uh, I was just saying that uh, uh, there is uh, quite a lot of research now I'm showing this is not naturally the case. And um, since we made the program, uh, they have changed their website and their message. So I have no sort of beef with Diabetes Australia. I think they do a brilliant job. Um, I was just trying to persuade them more uh, towards uh, the point of view that uh, diabetes, uh, you don't have to sort of sit back and take the medicines. You can do something about it. So traditionally, uh, we've treated diabetes, type 2 diabetes with medic- often with medication. Um, there's fairly conservative management of it rather than trying to get rid of it. Are you able to explain to listeners what you, what you found and and how and how our bodies can actually reverse diabetes? Because that seems like a really extraordinary thought. Sure. So it actually began for me back in 2012 uh, when I discovered that I had type 2 diabetes. I was 55 at the time. I'm 64 now. Uh, and uh, my dad had had it at about the same age. And he then died at the age of 74 of complications of diabetes. So uh, if you take the medication, it certainly helps with some of the symptoms. But nonetheless, it can take about 10 years off your life expectancy. So that wasn't a route I fancied. And I went off and I explored the science. And rather than start a medication, I actually invented a new diet called the 5-2 diet, uh, which you may have heard of, intermittent fasting. Uh, And I lost about nine kilos, reversed my diabetes. And I was curious as to why that was so. And then I met up with an academic in uh, Newcastle in the UK. Uh, He's a world-renowned diabetes specialist. And he said it was basically because I'd gone on this rapid weight loss diet. I drained the fat out of my liver and my pancreas. And once the fat had gone, uh, then they could spring back to life. And that's why my diabetes had gone. And that was nine years ago. I've kept weight off. My blood sugars are perfectly normal. And this guy, Professor Roy Taylor, has gone on to do a number of big trials showing that uh, you can indeed, uh, uh, if you lose about 10% of your body weight, uh, then you can indeed reverse type 2 diabetes. But that's obviously uh, a significant challenge. And he's also shown that the best way to do that is with a rapid weight loss diet. So uh, with his help, I uh, developed something called the Fast 800 program. And that's essentially what we were using with the Australian volunteers. And it's all about um, getting rid of that visceral fat, that gut fat, uh, the stuff around your tummy. You know, if you've got a large waist, uh, that's probably because there's fat clogging up your liver and your pancreas. And again, what Roy Taylor showed is that um, if you drain that fat, uh, the pancreas will spring back to life. And he was claiming this at a time when nobody believed that type 2 diabetes was reversible. Uh, But as I said, he's done a lot of clinical trials and it's now accepted wisdom in the UK and increasingly becoming so around the world. What does your series show about the impact of type 2 diabetes and Indigenous Australians? Um, Yeah, really grim, I have to say. I mean, I was um, with Australians generally. Uh, You unfortunately have, I think, the fifth 
um, highest rate of obesity in the world amongst the developed countries. Um, US number one, Mexico two, New Zealand three. I can't remember who's four. You're five. We're six. So despite the image that Australians have of being super healthy, rates of diabetes are very high. Uh, rates of obesity are high, particularly amongst uh, the indigenous Australians. So um, I was filming up in the Northwest Territories uh, w with communities up there. And in some of those areas, you've got rates of diabetes, which are amongst the highest in the world. And uh, it shouldn't be like that. Uh, but it is. And so that was one of the reasons as well why we wanted um, um, to recruit some um, uh, Indigenous Australians to take part in the series, because um, the think we were thinking that if we can, you know, um, show change with them, then they will, you know, um, influence and hopefully um, encourage other members of the community to take this seriously. Um, and uh, it was um, lovely, lovely. I had a wonderful time up there. I've never been uh, to such remote parts of Australia, but it was also kind of shocking the rates of um, diabetes in those communities. Looking at the urgency of this medical issue, what are your thoughts and uh, on the relationship between obesity and coronavirus as Australia looks to open up with some trepidation? Yeah, no, I'm not surprised. In fact, I ought to say hello to my son, Jack, who is a uh, he's a doctor working in casualty there in Melbourne. And uh, he was working with COVID patients. He's working in a COVID ward in Manchester and now in England. And now he's working um, with uh, increasingly large numbers of COVID patients in Melbourne. Um, so he keeps me up to date with what's happening over there. And we know that uh, if you have if you if you suffer from obesity, and particularly if you have type 2 diabetes or raised blood sugar levels, uh, that massively increases your risk of ending up in hospital and dying uh, if you get COVID-19. Um, so that seems to be one of the sort of prime things that you can do something about in advance. Uh, there's also some suggestion that it might make the vaccine less effective. But the main thing, as I said, is that uh, if you can uh, knock it on the head, uh, this is a good time to do it. And in the UK, our Prime Minister Boris Johnson uh, famously came down with COVID and nearly died, and he blamed it on his obesity. And so there's a kind of, um, he's an extra urgency amongst the Tory party in the UK uh, to introduce things like uh, banning advertising um, of uh, ultra-processed foods and um, some of the unhealthy junk foods uh, that are making Australians and Australian kids uh, increasingly obese. On a personal level, like you you invented the 5-2 diet and practised that and you now have the Fast 800. Do you still live your life on the 5-2 diet every, like week to week? Like how is What's your life like now just day yeah, to day? Yeah, not really. I mean, the, I also saw the 5-2 diet as a sort of um, a short-term thing in the sense that, it, you know, some people have adopted it as a way of life. Um, I go back to it occasionally when I put on the weight. But essentially, my life is that, um, you know, I um, do keep a close eye on my weight and on my blood sugar levels, because although I have reversed my diabetes, I know there's a good chance I have a genetic propensity to it. My dad had it. If uh, any of your listeners have a family or a relative, a first degree relative with type 2 diabetes, that means they're at increased risk. Um, and if they also have, a, you know, a large waist, then they're very much at risk. And it's worth having their blood sugars measured because an awful lot of people, about one in four Australians, have diabetes and they don't know they've got it. Um, so I keep an eye on things like my weight, my waist, 
and my blood sugar levels and my blood pressure. Uh, and I eat a pretty healthy Mediterranean-style diet. So uh, I eat plenty of um, legumes and lentils and fish and olive oil. And I still drink red wine and I still have the occasional treat. Uh, but I do keep quite a close eye on my weight. And as I said, um, if it starts to creep up again after Christmas or the holidays, uh, then I bang it on the head uh, by sticking myself back on the 5-2 diet. Mm. Well, this and, is the thing. Uh, that normally gets rid of it within a short period. In fact, on uh, this documentary series uh, for SBS, the uh, Australian Health Revolution, um, I deliberately put myself on a ultra-processed uh, food junk diet just to see what it would do. And um, I piled on the weight and my blood sugar shot up. Um, so clearly, uh, if I let myself go, there's a good chance it will come back. And as you say, it doesn't take long to let yourself go, does it? No, sadly not. In my case, it only took a couple of weeks uh, to get my blood sugars back uh, towards the diabetic range. But then I stuck myself on the kind of rapid weight loss diet, um, the Fast 800 diet, and I managed to get rid of it in about 10 days. So uh, I put it on fast, but I get rid of it fast. Uh, but uh, if you ever have been uh, obese or overweight or had type 2 diabetes, then you are going to have to be pretty careful uh, for the rest of your life. It's not like, you know, I never have treats or anything like that, but it's quite easy to slip back into your bad old ways. And if you do, unfortunately, uh, uh, the weight will come back on and the blood sugars will start to creep back up again. Mm. You draw a parallel with just mandating seatbelts and just, you know, government pulling the trigger and making change. Is, is there anything beyond banning the advertising of ultra-processed foods or is there anything you have in your armoury as tools that maybe Australia can use to kickstart this health revolution? I think the first thing is the awareness that, uh, that uh, it can be reversed and that's um, becoming increasingly accepted. Um, I think uh, it would be great if um, doctors in Australia at medical school were taught about nutrition, um, I get the impression I have lots of friends who are doctors in Australia uh, that this is a greatly neglected area of the curriculum. And the same is true in the UK because my um, son who was at medical school in the UK, he learned almost nothing about nutrition. Um, and that would be a, a great thing to do. Uh, from a government point of view, um, I think you, it would be great if you introduced a sugar tax as we have here in the UK, uh, because um, it undoubtedly helped in the sense that um, people consumed less sugary drinks. And also what happened is the food manufacturers uh, then went about reducing the sugar content in the uh, sugary drinks were going to be taxed. And uh, a recent report by Oxford University, which looked at this, said this is the only area of food that has actually improved in the UK in the last 10 years. And they only responded uh, because of the taxation. There's been a voluntary arrangement um, here with food manufacturers, which has run for 15 years and has made not the slightest difference. Um, uh, one of the parallels is with tobacco. The war on tobacco was only won because of taxation and because of the banning of advertising. And in the end, uh, those were the two greatest weapons we had against tobacco. Uh, when I went to medical school, half the population in the UK smoked. Now it's down to 13%. So I'm kind of optimistic that if the Australian government were to take this seriously, uh, they could do something about uh, the uh, obesity crisis and the type 2 uh, diabetes crisis that you have in Australia. And if they don't do anything, it's just going to get worse. People are going to get older, fatter, sicker. 
Uh, and you're going to see a lot more people like I did having their limbs amputated. That was mm. pretty grim yes. in a hospital in uh, Western Australia. And uh, people need to recognize type diabetes is a really, really serious disease. Uh, one of the doctors I spoke to said, you know, I'd rather have cancer. Uh, that uh, It's seen as a sort of almost benign thing, uh, but doubles your risk of uh, uh, things like dementia, heart disease, uh, blindness, um, amputation, impotence, you name it. Uh, this is not a disease you want to get. And if you have got it, uh, you'd really want to knock it on the head if you can. Yeah. Well, I noticed since your show, Diabetes Australia, has made a slight alteration to its website. So baby steps. Absolutely. I mean, the mo- I take any <laughs> take any drive. Mm. Uh, and I said the, the point of doing the series was also to get the message out there. And it is a message of hope. I think it is, um, you know, this could have been a pretty grim documentary series. Uh, but in the end, I think it is something where you're rooting and you're cheering for these eight Aussies um, and you really want them to succeed and your heart goes out to them and you can see why this matters so much to them. And when I met them all, I think they were in a bit of a, a trough of despair because they'd basically been told uh, there's nothing we can done. Take the medication and cross your fingers uh, while you still got them. Uh, but um, I think the fact that I and um, this other Aussie, Ray Kelly, who's an exercise physiologist and who's got a lot of experience I'm helping reverse diabetes, particularly in the indigenous population. I think the fact that we were able to go to them and say, look, uh, we can help you and this is how we can help you uh, was a real, you know, it was a real boost. So this is uh, in many ways a very feel-good series, Mm. uh, which you might not predict from the uh, conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, the three-part series Australia's Health Revolution with Dr. Michael Mosley premieres Wednesday, the 13th of October at 7.30pm on SBS and SBS On Demand. And we've been fortunate to speak with the man himself, Dr. Michael Mosley. Thanks so much. Thanks a lot. Try then. Independently yours, Triple R. 102.7. With Vanessa Tolker away, joining us also from Wednesday Night Show Bite Into It is tech talker Dan Salmon. Morning, Dan. Good morning, Breakfasters. How are we? We're swell. Where are you taking us this morning? I'm taking you guys on a magical trip into the past. <laughs> a magical trip into the, or a less so magical trip into the future. Okay. Um, so today I want to talk about which um, something which is possibly my favourite website. Now, are you guys at all familiar with the Wayback Machine? Yes, we were just talking about it earlier today. Yeah, it's it's a fantastic service. It's incredible. Um, for those who don't know, it's a, it's a um, run by the Internet Archive, which is a not-for-profit digital library based in San Francisco, and it was it was founded in 1996 with the aim of archiving as much of the internet as it can by constantly scraping websites and taking snapshots of them over time. So what it does, it lets you go back in time and check out websites as they used to be. And possibly more useful, it actually also archives websites that don't exist anymore. So if you're trying to find a web page that you have seen before, but it's not there, if you know the URL, you can go to the uh, Wayback Machine, put that URL and see if they've actually taken a copy of it and see how it was on certain dates. They kind of date stamp each each snapshot they take. Um, Now, this has helped me more than once in my life and particularly in my day job looking for websites that people have surreptitiously taken down. but it is um, done with a real kind of utopian ideal. It, the, 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 their aim back in the day was to provide universal access to all knowledge. Now, 
this is the kind of philosophy that you heard a lot from the early internet pioneers before people started realizing just how money how much money you can make on the internet and then kind of you know commercializing everything um you know people who the early the early internet people were like they saw saw the internet as a great democratizing force where everyone would have you know unlimited access to free and correct information and to be fair that still exists in certain areas there's probably only two websites i can think of off the top of my head where that philosophy is still the driving force uh one of those is wikipedia and the other one is the Wayback Machine. And I think we can all agree that the rest of the internet has more or less gone to hell. Um, so anyway, um, the Wayback Machine turns 25 years old this month. So it's been around since 1996. And in that time, it's archived more than 617 billion web pages, wow. which is, you know, wow. that's 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 insane. <laughs> insane. It's insane. They're constantly scraping. And uh, it's, it's if you head to... Um, wayback.archive.org and you, you it's like it's a, a rabbit warren of amazing stuff that you can see from 25 years ago um but they are um have decided that for, for their 25th birthday that uh they want to look forward and so they've created the way forward machine which is a, a, a kind of a, a different thing entirely. The first thing that they've, they're asking with this way forward machine is, will we have access to trustworthy information online and will the knowledge be free and open? So those are, those are pretty big questions, and particularly around now when we're talking about, you know, net neutrality and you know, the, the, the privacy issues and who owns what on the internet. So if um, if you are hoping to see a cool prediction of how websites are going to look in 2046, you're going to be a bit disappointed. It's not a, it's not necessarily a pretty sight, and there's no pun intended there at all. Um, if 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 you put it in a URL, it blows up the website. So if you go to wayforward.archive.org and then just copy in you know any website you can think of, it'll blur that website, and then a whole lot of pop-ups will appear. Um, mm. Now one of the pop-ups says that this information is protected by the Content Truth Gateway, and if you want to see factual information, you need to pay thirty dollars. Otherwise, you can see some free uncertified content. Um, there's another pop-up that says that your browser is not compatible and you will need to disable all your privacy settings to see the website um, appear. And, and that's something I think we've possibly all actually already experienced. Um, another says that, uh, actually, if you, if you try to go to, this is scary, if you try to go to rrr.org.au, yes. it says that the site has been temporarily unavailable for your own good because the information is considered a thought crime in your region. No! Yeah. <laughs> How messed up is that? Awesome. Subscribe to thought crimes, <laughs> people. <laughs> we are we are walking and talking thought crimes, everyone. Um, but yeah, so look, uh, there, there's there's probably one silver lining in all of this, which is if you try to go to Google, it says that the business no longer exists because it was found to be in breach of the 2029 Monopolies Commission. Um, but yeah, so so like it's but in general, it's kind of dystopian. It's it's a bit of a warning, and I suppose there's a reason that they're doing this. Um, they 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 see that an open and free internet of readily accessible, reliable information is under threat. Um, and one of their main reasons that they think this is the case is that last year they were actually sued by a number of publishers, big publishers, like, you know, the, the kind of HarperCollins as random house kind of companies, um, who, what that was, because what they had done was set up what the, um, the Internet Archive called the National Emergency Library. Now, 
the National Emergency Library was something that they set up because we were hit by a pandemic. That meant that people weren't able to go to the library to borrow books. And it was actually, initially, it was geared towards students who couldn't afford, you know, $300 textbooks. So they would go to their local library or their university library and borrow the books that they needed to actually study. Um, and without being able to leave the house or access those books, the Internet Archive you know, kind of came to the rescue, I guess, and uh, scanned and put up some books which were still in copyright. And the the, the difference was, though, that um, they allowed up to 10 people to borrow the books at once rather than one, which is, you know, obviously how libraries work. They can only borrow however many copies, or they can only lend out however many copies they've got on got in stock. So this, this annoyed the publishers, and they thought it was an infringement on their copyright. Um so, so that, that that was kind of one of the driving reasons behind that. Who won but that? Do you know? It's going to the U.S. federal court next month, so we actually don't ah, know yet. Okay. Um, it's it's there's there's a lot of uh, I suppose unknowns about how it's going to turn out because re- really, when you think about it, if if the Internet Archive loses this, then what what implications are there for you know bricks and mortar libraries? We don't even we we don't, we don't know. So. Um, it's it's kind of it's it's a bit worrying in that sense, but but the the um the web, Internet Archive's campaign goes further than that. It's it's because we're we're also seeing you know increased threats to net neutrality. So the idea of the free and open internet, but that that isn't restricted based on what you pay or who you pay it to. So um, content that's protected by paid firewalls or only available to people to subscribe certain services. I don't know if you've heard that there are, you know, some internet service providers that have entered into agreements where if you subscribe to that or if you use that service provider, then you can have open access to certain content without paying for it. Um, so, yeah, look, it's 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 a bit of a murky area. And there are arguments on both sides because of the copyright debate, because obviously, you know, artists and people who make content need to be paid fairly for the content that they make. Mm-hmm. But the idea that we've always been able to go into a library and borrow a book doesn't necessarily translate so easy to the internet. So I, I don't know what the fix is. I don't know. It's, 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 it's an interesting question. So we'll, well, we will find out. You're not asking month. for an answer from us. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I wanted to ask you, though, Zan, um, given the Facebook outage today, if you had any thoughts on what that means or what it might portend. Well, look, I mean, the, I think if, if nothing else, it will perhaps make everyone think, of, oh, hold on, we, maybe we rely a little bit too much on these services. Because um, I, 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 when, when I woke up this morning and saw that it had happened, I, I, don't, I, you know, I haven't checked Facebook first thing in the morning for a very long time, but like a lot of my interactions are via Facebook Messenger. So like... Going back, like we, we, I think we, it's 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 kind of you need to diversify the way that you in, that you interact with the internet, and because at the very least, if if that service that's owned by you know they own WhatsApp, they own Messenger, they own Instagram, mm. if all that goes down and that's all you use, then what's what you know what's what recourse do you have to actually interact with humanity at the moment? And right now we need. <laughs> Very as connected little. as possibly right. as we can. Uh, also in Triple R and the Way Forward Machine, the content owner has made this content unavailable in your political block. <laughs> love that. See, that's terrifying. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Subscribe. We laugh it. now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Subscribe. Was it one more day for uh, Radiothon? Yeah, one that's more day. Right. <laughs> one more day. Absolutely. Good on you. Thanks very much, Dan. Thanks, guys. Have a great day. Woo! Uh, that's right. Triple R. 
uh, my typical Monday night, I was listening to maps and cooking dinner, and I do love bopping away doing that. And just before a meal comes out, and if I'm really, really hungry, I do this thing all the time, no matter where I am, I'll always just go, food, glorious food, and that means I'm excited for food to come. I don't sing anything else in the song. Uh, but I, I cannot believe you didn't cut it on Australian Idol. That just sounded great. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. No. no, it sounded great. It did, didn't it? Like, I, oh. if I did that, it wouldn't. You sounded like you were hitting high notes. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. Okay. Um, but I'm, I guarantee that is very annoying when you hear it five or I six bet. times a week. <laughs> I bet. I bet. <laughs> um, but I do, yeah, that I, I do a few different jingles at home, which I didn't realise I did this much until Abby pointed it out. She's like, do you, like, <laughs> you sing a lot. Like, just about silly things, uh, I'll put my... <laughs> tracksuit pants on and I'll be like I'm gonna put my trackies on I'm gonna put my trackies on I'm gonna put my trackies on tracky 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 trackies on okay it's it's annoying isn't it I can't believe that Abby Abby's, is with you we're getting married I in know a couple of months okay and you've gone through lockdown with this yeah you've got through lockdown with the tracky song yeah and I do this little dance where I kick my foot you know what she joins in no, she doesn't. She did. She oh, ha- she I mean, not them. always. She's done it once or twice. Okay, yeah. and I'm hanging well, on to that. Kick it was- your foot. What are you, Elaine from Seinfeld? What's that? <laughs> oh my god! I yeah. She's no. I do kind of look like Elaine from Seinfeld when I do this. Actually, um, sounds like a the lead song in a Bogan musical. Oh, absolutely! It is the worst, and, and, and I, I know I'm terrible. My my younger brother, I'm sorry, my older brother. When we were younger, we all used to um, put like my trackies on. Gotta put my trackies on. Gotta put my trackies on. Yeah. Anyway. Um, <laughs> Um, he would, whenever we would eat, like at the table, mum would always cook heaps of food, but my brother would always be like, if, if you're full, I'll, I'll, I'll eat your food. And we're like, all right, calm down. Can we start the meal? And mum's like, there's plenty of food. And if there's not, I'll cook some more. And he was always just like, I bags, I, I bags of food. I'm like, just relax. Um, but then he started singing, I'll be there for food. Every time, just before we started eating, it's like, stop singing like that. Like Friends, like the Friends song. Uh, I'll be there for food. These five words I say to you when you're full. Oh, no, not. No, okay, I, I no. don't think I it's thought you like, I'll thought be there was, for you. I'll be there oh. for you. No. When the rain starts to fall. Is that what you're doing? Are they different things? How are they different? I'll no, well, be there mm. for food. No, no, no. When the gravy starts, starts to fall. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, this is Paul Kelly I'll in the corner. I'll be there for you. These five words I say to okay. you. You oh, know that song? No. Neither do I. Maybe he just made it up. Anyway, um, but he would sing this. Um, do you guys? Do you guys sing songs to your kids or anything? I know that's a bit of a thing. This is an immensely embarrassing conversation. Yes, is it? Please. It's yeah. like really give it to stripping me. us down. Yeah. Well, I don't have a kid well, as excuse, so I it's do. more embarrassing for me. Ju- so sometimes I go, because June's June Louise, and we call her Junie Lou. Junie and Lou? so often I'm like, Junie, Junie Lou, where are you? I'm coming to get you. And then I was like, oh, my God, you're singing a song about a stone dog who investigates yeah. ghosts <laughs> yeah. to your daughter. Junie Lou is Scooby-Doo. Not getting a Scooby Snacks and then after, so I've had to stop because I was always going, Junie, Junie Lou, where are you? And I just didn't want her, fa- her like, she's going to think her song is the Scooby song. Mm. Oh, that's a bit of cute. Is it's it cute? I it's, think It's so. not bad that, like, it's about a stone dog who chase ghosts. Maybe. Okay, right, um, yeah. I think it's cute. I, th- I, I think it's cute. <laughs> What about Gabe? Uh, Gabe's got a song. Uh, or d- Daniel has heaps of songs. Oh, well, it's it's it was Jesse's song who just subscribed. Then um, she would say when he was learning to talk or if he's balancing, she'll say, "Standing tall, standing tall, standing tall." His name is Gabriel. 
Oh, that's nice. No, it's not nice. <laughs> it's not nice. Yeah, look, she didn't subscribe to it's us. Not like, nice. uh, it's okay. <laughs> Uh, you said that was nice, but your face was so. Oh, I know. You felt sorry for me. I'm like, you just sat there going, Junior, and suddenly I'm the jerk. Look, Junior Lou Scooby Doo hasn't come out for a while, to be honest. Yeah. Um, we do incy wincy a lot. You know, can I just tell you, aside from this, we do incy wincy a lot. And yesterday, when I went to put her in the car, and we do versions of Incy Wincy, you know, half versions, sped up versions, slow versions, because she loves it. But I don't know that she knows that Incy Wincy is a spider. And uh, yesterday I went to put her in the car, then opened the um, boot, and there was a huntsman in the car. <laughs> and I freaked. And I tried to calmly move the huntsman on and then realised I didn't have it in me and then rang Andrew, who was up the shops, and said, we're going to have to wait for you to get back. Mm. There's a huntsman in the car. And then I thought, I'll, I'll pick her up and show her an Incy Wincy. And I was holding her, showing her the hut, because I thought I'm going to be a real, it's going to be a good learning moment. I'm going to be a good parent. And I'm holding her and showing her the hunt, and going, Incy, Wincy. And as I was doing it, I realised how terrified I was. And it wasn't, a, and I'm going, Incy, Wincy, Spina. And then I was like, I can't do it. Then I just had to put her on the ground next to the car while I kind of deep breathed. What is this, Stephen King? (laughs) (laughs) Triple R on FM, digital, online and via the app. I'm hungry. I want something to eat. Something with a crunch and very sweet. Michael Harden joins us for a much-needed food interlude. Morning, Michael. Morning. How are you? Yeah, good. Sorry about uh, to lead you in with that. You don't deserve... Shocking language. You're so well, yeah. you know, it's kind of like it's nothing I haven't heard before. <laughs> direct in my direction. <laughs> you are a food reviewer after all. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> Come to the territory. What's the go? Oh, just, um, you know, getting through it. Yeah. Looking, looking forward to uh, restaurants opening up and all of that sort of stuff. But, you know, it's like the uh, the eternal cooking from home dilemma every night. It's sort of like, you know, like the alarm goes off around 3.34 in the afternoon. What are we cooking for dinner tonight? Yeah. So, um, and uh, I've just sort of, I, I thought I'd, I've talked today about uh, one of my favourite all-time foods, which is anchovies, which is uh, probably a little divisive. So, you know, I thought I'd start with, you know, just a survey of the room, just to see where we stand on anchovies amongst you guys. Uh, Daniel, you go first. Did, can, uh, did can I guess? Yeah, I think you love them. Yeah, I, I wouldn't deny an anchovy. Absolutely. Okay. I don't. I, I like the flavour, but they have to be small and hidden. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like the look of them Small or the feel. Uh, I always hated them, so it was yeah. very anti-anchovy. And then one night someone ordered a margarita pizza and it had anchovies on it I didn't realise. And I was going, oh, what are these delicious salty pops? And they went, anchovies. <laughs> and so since then I've been like, oh, yeah, I can see a place for them. Mm. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they are a sort of a really divisive food. But I think, you know, it's like... One of the things about them is that, you know, there's so many different ways of dealing with anchovies and, like, eating them and everything. And, and you know, the, in Australia, we sort of mainly get them sort of, you know, in jars, in oil. Um, you know, it's sort of like, you know, anchovies generally, there's sort of, there's, there's 
basically there's about 140 species of anchovy around the world and they're in like they're found in the atlantic the pacific the indian oceans they're in the mediterranean sea they're in the black sea they're used in european cooking they're used in south american cooking they're used all throughout asia um you know you sort of look at all that sort of like asian dishes ikan bilis you know the sort of the dried anchovies that are put in sort of like a seasoning there's you know all the fish sauces are all made with anchovies um, right. And then, you know, it's sort of like you look at the way that they're used in Europe and a lot of the time they're, they're cooked, um, they, they're cooked fresh there out of the water. So they'll be, you know, things like, you know, just, just dipped in flour and deep fried or, you know, the Turks have this thing where the fishermen, when they, they have a haul, they'll clean them on the boat and then cook them over charcoal and bay leaves. And they're actually they're not not they're not a super fishy fish when they're first out of the water. They've got they're quite oily and quite when they're fresh, but they don't have that really fishy flavour. Um, that comes from the curing, and the way that they cure anchovies is like there's in Europe there's sort of two major ways that you'll you'll get anchovies. You'll get them in they'll be in big tins where they're pretty much whole. Um, these days they usually they'll pull the head off and sort of pull some of the guts out and then, but the rest of it, the spine and the fins and the tail and everything are all left on. And then they're just put under salt. And when you use them, you um, wash the salt off and then you bone them and everything. And you can sort of, you can either like, you know, say this, what the Spanish do with say with bocarones, which is where they will um, marinate the, uh, they wash the salt off and then marinate the fillets in a little bit of oil and vinegar overnight. And so the, the, the anchovy flesh goes white and, uh, and then it's served with sort of lemon juice and salt and parsley and it's actually quite a delicate mm. flavour. It would it's, get a bit fiddly, wouldn't it? They're not terribly large. No, no, you have to, yeah, it's sort of like, this is why it's sort of like it, I tend to, it's one of those things that I tend to leave to the experts. It's sort of like I can't, you know, the idea of having to sort of pull out those, you know, pull the spine out and everything and like, you know, I can imagine, you know, it's the sort of thing, you know, that frustration you get when you're trying to... Um, peel a boiled egg that's been difficult and, you know, all of a sudden chunks of the egg are coming off and you end up in a, in a rage throwing the whole thing into the sink and telling it to, you know, get fucked. But, um, Michael. But, you know, so I think, that the, uh, I think that the anchovy would be, um, you know, sort of a similar thing. So I just kind of let, leave that to the experts. But, um, you know, and there, there are people that are very experts with anchovies. But I think with the thing that, like, you know, talking like in an Australian context, most of the anchovies that we're getting here are, you know, they're going to be... In in oil and they're going to be in jars they're going to be in tins and the thing is that like you know that like i understand why people like some people hate anchovies because if you've like cheap anchovies and badly preserved anchovies are hideous mm. you know they're kind of you know they've got that sort of hairy sort of quality to them <laughs> and they've got that you know they're sort of gray and mushy and like seriously you don't like so you know it's like and that and like a lot of the time they're in really inferior olive oil so the oil's gone a little bit rancid so you know it's kind of like you know i don't know why anybody would want to eat those things yeah so, you know, and it's, it's kind breakfast. of understandable that people would you know would try and avoid them but the difference between that and like a decent like a decent to good anchovy is quite phenomenal mm. and so you know i kind of tend to with my anchovies i tend to sort of go for the ones that are in tins because the ones that are in jars they're also they're sort of rolled and they're packed in really tightly and so they tend to sort of mush up when you're trying to get them out of the jar whereas the tins they're all laid flat and like a really good preserved anchovy in olive oil will still have will have like a pinkish hue to it it won't be gray and it'll be a little bit plump and it has really really bright 
flavors to it. It's so it's got like, you know, there's almost even a sweetness to it. They're so delicious. And, you know, it's sort of like once you've gone there, it's sort of like I just think that it's one of those things that like, you know, you budget for it. And, you know, instead of, you know, don't buy a jar of cheap anchovies and, you know, just suffer and hate yourself. You know, it's sort of like, you know, go just sort of save up and you know, spend 12 or more dollars on, on a thing of anchovies. And it's sort of like, and, you know, I'm, te- I'm guaranteeing your life will be improved all up. All, all Lockdown with Michael Hart sounds <gasps> full on. <laughs> Um, what about uh, anchovy ice cream? Is that a thing? Is that is that just is that bollocks? Is it real anchovy? Yeah, look, you know, you could put you can put anchovy in ice cream. I've never had it, and I think that it's probably a little bit of nonsense. Yeah. Um, you know, I kind of think sometimes you just like I, last night I, I ate some, so I, I got some chocolate sent to me, and it had seaweed and sesame seeds in it, and it's kind of like, yeah, okay, you can do it. But you know, you do you, is it necessary? Um, and Hello, so the gift Hope your daughter, who said that to you, is listening and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. she's learned yeah. her lesson. Well, she's used to me by now. <laughs> so, what do we do with you know? What's the best place for an anchovy? Is is anchovy on pizza? You know, would yeah, you avoid I, it? I, like, you know, good anchovies on pizza is like absolutely delicious. Like, you know, as Sarah said, it's like, you know, it's like getting these pops of salt. You know, they're kind of like really good. Like, I think, and one of the things about anchovies that people don't realize that you don't need to use them whole. Like, one of the beautiful mm. things about them is that you can cook them down. You cook them really, really over really gentle heat and they dissolve and become like a paste. And so you can mix it through things. Like, you know, some of the, like, you know, like there's a beautiful, like a broccoli pasta. Like if you do broccoli with orecchietti and, and olives, and then you, but you melt down um, the anchovies first. And so you toss that through. So it's olive oil, mm-hmm. salty sort of beautiful olive oil that you toss through broccoli with orecchietti. Beautiful. And it's the, you know, similar thing with like, you know, it's really good in butters that it, like if you eat meat to have sort of like, like, you know, if you do like a Cafe de Paris butter, it's sort of like i think it's like it's much improved if you whack some anchovies in as well um you know it's also it's really good it always goes really well with lamb like you can just and you can just chop up anchovies and mix them through butter and uh, you know like butter that's softened and just mix them through you can sieve it if you want but i like the pieces of anchovy in there and then you pop it with lamb like it's particularly good with roast lamb and that sort of stuff but it's also really good with vegetables like one of the one of the great um, anchovy recipes is a, a recipe from Piedmont in Italy called, and it's called bagna calda. And it's, um, this, it's a sauce that's made with like melted down anchovies that are mixed with lemon juice and olive oil and butter. And you keep it, it traditionally, you put it on the table in an earthenware pot with like a spirit lamp underneath it or a candle to keep it warm. And then you dip raw vegetables or parboiled vegetables in it. And it's sort of like the tradition is that you, you, you're you dipping vegetables. It's kind of like a fondue sort of thing, but with this salty, buttery sauce. And then at the end of it, um, when there's a little bit of sauce left over, you break eggs into it and scramble the eggs through it, and that finishes the meal. Bloody hell. So, uh, so. Oh, well, I look forward to European. Is that something that you would do just quickly, uh, anchovies when borders open 
and your next in Europe? Is that your go-to, one of your go-to foods when you get Oh, there? absolutely. It's one of those things that, like, you're going to Europe, particularly, like, Spain mm-hmm. and Italy are, like, particularly famous for their... And that, so it's sort of like, you know, you go to Italy and it's sort of like you just shove as many tomatoes in your mouth as you can possibly get because they're yeah. the best in the world. Similar to with anchovies and that kind of stuff that they're, you know, they just know how to use them really well mm-hmm. there. It's gorgeous. Michael Harden, rancid and plump as always. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Triple R. I recently helped my dad uh, move into his new apartment Um, and obviously I've spoken about it, my brother uh, moving overseas as well. And I think one of the main things that slows down the moving process for myself and for my family, and tell me if this is uh, across the board, is when you come across a box full of photos or old memories that you open up and here you are just being as quick as possible and efficient and then you come across this box with everything and you just stop and you open it up and it's so so nostalgic. Did I say that right? <laughs> Good on you. Yes. I was absolutely expecting to say that wrong. Um, <laughs> but just just opening it up. And I remember for me personally when I moved, I think when I was younger, and I just had this box with me for many years and I had a dinky diary inside oh it. Oh, my God, I had a dinky diary. Yes. Mine was pink and it had like a, a magnet. Yes. Yeah, there you go. And I tell you, this just ruined moving. Uh, so my parents are just like, can you get out of it already? I think in the end, like I might have been 17 or something in the end when I was moving my stuff and and, and I still had it, but I think it's yeah, photos. My dad had um, – you were talking about them yesterday, VCRs that you mm-hmm. find and stuff. And my dad recently, uh, he was going through – he's like, oh, there's a few things in here that you might like. And I was going over to help him. And then I got caught looking in this box. I'm like, oh, Dad, I'm so sorry. I can't believe you have these. He had my uh, my debutant ball, so when I was in year 10 or 11, I think it was, um, on a VCR. Um, and a segment that I did on the footy show when I was... 19 or 20 or something. I'm sorry, you did a segment on the footy show when you were 19 or 20. This was, it was actually the Victorian women's football team. We like, we, and this is so embarrassing. I, it hurts to say this, but we were trying to raise money to, um, to travel, I think we were going to camp for na- for nationals. We were, we were, and so we're doing everything we can to try and get fundraising money. And if you did this segment on the footy show, you got a thousand dollars, a thousand dollars. It was called You Idiot. <laughs> Do you remember that Everything segment? Everything about this is like <laughs> like women's footy I know. having to drag themselves in front of Sam Newman for a thousand bucks. Exactly. It oh was, my god! I, I feel like I remember people. I, I I can hear them going, "You idiot!" But I don't know what the, what segment, the segment was. was. We actually, um, so we were all dressed up in it was half footy gear, so that the top half was our um, big V jumper, and then we were dressed as nuns. We did a, a sister act. Uh, song, and we changed the your words idea. And stuff. I suppose it was. Yes, and <laughs> it was absolutely <laughs> so clearly right. <laughs> well, we were told to enter something, and that was my idea. Yeah. So, uh, so I was the lead singer, and then we had the backup dancers and everything. <laughs> cool. Um, but I mean, like the week before, this is the same segment. Um, a guy was a human bowling ball. And so oh, he just geez. stood on stage and they put set up 10 pin bowling ball, uh, pins. He ran, jumped into it, and I was like, yeah, you idiot, here's a thousand bucks. That's what we did for the Victorian women's football team to travel interstate. It's so dark. Isn't it? It's so Isn't dark. Isn't it? It's, it's, it's insane. Oh, my God. So you're not competing with anybody. It's a guaranteed thousand bucks. It's a guaranteed thousand bucks. But would you believe it? We got bumped twice so we all came into the studios and they ran out of time we're like oh my god as if we are not making 
fools of ourselves enough. Run out of time. That yeah, show Trevor, always Trevor, run over by about two, three hours. Always. Yeah, Trevor Marmalade, just an extra 15 minutes <laughs> yeah. in the bar. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Uh, so, yes, yeah, so my dad, and I I mean, I haven't seen it. I, I don't know how to watch it at the moment. I think my younger brother was talking about converting VCRs to, but I think he's been talking about that for about 10 years. So I don't know <laughs> if I'm ever going to watch it, but I did look at it and I, I just had so many emotions thinking back on that time. But do you guys, I mean, you had a dinky diary. How have you guys been when you look back on those things when you're trying to move? Does it slow you down? Yeah, I kind of become a a weird little slumped worm and I feel like time evaporates when I find a box of old belongings. Even if it's the same, like I've been carting around these two plastic clear boxes of belongings for years (laughs) that I cannot clear out. And every time I move them or have to get something, I just end up kind of slumped over in my bed. Go, you know, going through things, reading letters, and I just don't know. It, you know, I'll look up and it'll be midnight. Yeah. Um, Dinky Diary. I remember getting my mum was blue, it had ca- like kangaroos on it, maybe. Oh yes, oh, yeah. yeah. And it was the coolest thing in the world. It came with a little pen, and um, I remember finding my Dinky Diary recently. I actually think I've thrown it out now, which makes me sad. Like I yeah. go through stages where I'll decide, you know, thirty years is enough or whatever it might be. Yeah. And so. But I remember just reading it and it was like, Christmas Day, got a dinky diary, going to the mm-hmm. farm, bored at the farm, bored at the farm, day three, <laughs> but want to see my friends. Today we had fish and chips. It was not as boring. Oh. It, it, it was just like the mind of a child <laughs> oh, and the things that would excite me. But it would just be one little line that yeah. I felt like I had to. And then I'd put everyone's, all my family's birth dates in it. And then by about, you get to about February 15. And it just drops away and I never write in it ever again, you know. So it was clearly just a, a moment in time. Yeah. Is Dinky Diary, what, is, what makes it special? Uh, it was like a hard, it was a little hard case and it flapped together. Like it had a little magnet uh, yeah. that flapped together. And I think it had a lock, but I didn't use the lock. Yeah. yeah. And it, it was like an, an organiser for a child. Yeah. The, it, was, it was an organiser. The, um, the commercial was actually the jingle <gasps> when... I'm a dinky diary, I know where I'm at. I'm organised as a matter of fact. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. <laughs> I can't believe you remember that. Yeah, that's exactly what it looked like. Had it, the kangaroo You need to the... Google it if you can't remember what a dinky diary is. Um, and it was. It was an organiser. So yeah. was, you weren't meant to write personal things in it at all. You were right. just meant to say things that were coming up. I mean, how organised can a child be? Oh, I know. I think you know someone's having a clear out or, you know, trying to find a passport or something. When you receive a photo of a photo... Uh, yeah, and sometimes yes. if it's a you know sometimes you'll see the flash being reflected. Yes, uh, or light. Oh, it's, it's pretty bad. It's terrible. Yeah, it's terrible. So they, they do not communicate the um, the nostalgia and the you know the meaningfulness of the photo when it's trying to replicate it like that. But yeah, it's it's good that you know little red trucks don't <laughs> get all up in your business. They never leave. Is it would would uh, then what do you do? do? Is it game over? Are we talking an hour, half an hour? At least an hour. <laughs> At least an hour. <laughs> yeah. At it, least an hour. It really is. Yeah. It just stops you in your tracks. I, I I think I even had, um, and my dad actually made this for me, um, a scrapbook. So when I was younger, if there was an article in the newspaper, he would put it in the things. So About you? Yeah, like for oh, like sporting achievements or so whatever cute. else. It was very cute. Yeah. No, you no, idiot. I <laughs> I'm sorry, Bobby. Your one mission, your one mission in life, is to find, is to convert that tape. I need. Uh, well, I, I just feel like do it. we need to see this segment. It okay. should be on YouTube. Clearly, 
Yeah, I, I think, well, anyone that was associated with women's football has made sure that it's not on YouTube. Oh, wow. Oh, no, no, no. What was no, your no, song? We were Sorry. Fine. What was the. Uh, it, was a, it was a sister act medley, so I think. <laughs> Nothing you can say can tear me away from my coach. And then we sang about the coach. But it was just everyone, like all different. It was such a diverse group of singers and everyone, like people were so uncomfortable and awkward, but it was fun and they had enthusiasm. So, yeah. you know what, I, I'm going to do it. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get this and I'm going to convert it and I'll what see What was I the can... response like? Can you remember what it felt like? Oh, the, I mean, the crowd were lovely. Uh, Sam was awkward. Eddie was awkward. He told us to, like, as soon as it finished and people were cheering, like, we just finished our performance. We wanted to enjoy it. And he's like, get him off stage. Like, <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> get him off stage. We've got to wrap this up. I'm like, oh, Jesus. This is the third week we've bloody well been here. <laughs> oh, my God. Triple R. Bugger, Alex Ward joins us this Friday morning. Hey, Alex. Hey there. How are you going? Yeah, we're good. Um, and presume you've been up to heaps. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So much. Um, just the usual, walking around for three hours a day. Is it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Someone the other day was t- telling me they had some. They're up in Sydney and they're getting ready to do gigs. And they're like, you know, I'm a bit of a corporate comedian these days. I was like, oh, I'm just a walking comedian. <laughs> 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 Must be nice to be a corporate comedian. <laughs> <laughs> See, um, uh, I uh, I did go out a couple of days ago though. That was exciting. I went to get my second dose, AstraZeneca. Not to not saying I'm a rock star. <laughs> <laughs> did it wasn't afraid um so i got my second dose but i had to do that thing where once you get if you you guys i'm sure you're vaccinated you might know um you have to wait 15 minutes after you have your vaccination Mm. um i did actually leave at the 14 minute mark not to boast but i felt like i could make that decision up for myself but while i was sitting there um this other lady came in to get her her vaccine her vaccine and they couldn't find her in the system and i was just sitting there so i could overhear but uh i won't give away her last name or anything, but she, they said, oh, what's your name? And she said, oh, Claudia. And the lady's like, Claudia, okay. So she starts searching for Claudia. She cannot find her. She's like, what's your last name? And then she gets the, the nurse gets the girl to spell it. And then eventually she's like, oh, wait, is your name Port- Portia? And the girl's like, no, Portia. And so we all thought we'd heard Claudia. But then she's like, no, my name is Portia. And then she's like, can you please spell that for me? And she spelled it P-O-R-T-I-A. <gasps> and I was like, no, that's Portia. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm sure she knows her own name, but I'm also 100% sure she's wrong about her name. Yeah. Um, so she's saying that her name is Portia. And I'd never heard that name before, but Portia, right? And I was just laughing so much about this. Event. I'm not out loud. I'm not crazy. <laughs> Wouldn't let me leave after the vaccine. <laughs> I was like, I was just thinking, like, I was like, are you? Have you made that? Is that what your parents said, or did you make that decision along the line that you were just going to pronounce it Portia and not Portia? And um, it was so funny because I was telling my partner this, and she said, "Oh, the same thing, sort of similar thing happened to me when I was in school. She went to school with a girl." And on day one of like primary school, she hasn't forgotten, on day one, they were reading out the class role and they got to this to this girl, the teacher goes, Siobhan? And no one answers. And she's like, Siobhan? And then this girl goes, um, it's Siobhan Han. 
<gasps> oh, no. No. Because no. you spell Siobhan, like, I've never been able mm. to spell it. In fact, that's the only way I can remember how to spell it is Siobhan. Yeah. yeah. Siobhan. S-I-O-B-H-A-N. Yeah. Siobhan. And then the teacher's like, oh. She's like, really? And she's like, yeah, it's Siobhan. And then the teacher's like, oh, I've never heard it like that. I always just hear it as Siobhan. And then the girl comes back, like, you know, in the next day. And it turns out that her parents actually didn't know it was pronounced Siobhan because they pulled it out of a name book and had been actually called, they had named her Siobhan, but they just didn't know how to read the word Siobhan. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And they chose that name. I feel... Well, that's what, that's what blew my mind. I feel there. heavy they, in my they chest. They the baby book and thought, oh, see, little baby Siobhan, what a beautiful name. Sounds <laughs> 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 like Cinnabon. <laughs> I just saw your kid Cinnabon at that point because... Theopan. And then I was asking my partner, I was like, did she change it? Did she started going by a different name? And that's the part that Hannah can't remember. But uh, we don't know whether, like, because oh. her parents just legitimately thought it was Theopan because pulled it out of a book and had never heard it before. Um, so oh, it's too much. It was too much. Portia and Theopan. But um, <laughs> I've recreated your names, if you'd like to hear how oh, I oh, yeah. Please. Thanks. All right. So I've decided, should you just be reading a name out of a book, we could have Danile. Oh, yeah. yeah. Danile. It almost could have like a, you know, it's almost like a dash between it. Danile. I'm into that. Uh, Danile, like a rapper. I love it. <laughs> Danile. Yeah, it's cool. Hey, say ra. Say ra. Say ra. Say ra. Um, and then we have <laughs> Bye bye. Bye bye. I've had that one before. <laughs> I, I still don't mention, I still can't fathom that no one to the Sivon Han family, ever, no other parent ever went like, oh, it's, are you sure it's not? Like, no one else. Like, no one in their I life. Just, I think maybe they did know it was Siobhan at first and then, like me, that's the only way they could remember how to spell it and then eventually they forgot why they were saying Siobhan. I'm surprised that you left prematurely. I mean, what else? You, where else you got to be in this waiting room? Um, I mostly just want to film a video of myself leaving a minute early and look tough. <laughs> to post on Instagram. Like, it's all about content these days. Day Nile, okay? You've got your outlet every morning. <laughs> Hey, I rely on a 19-second Instagram video. So <laughs> yeah, <I've> got it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Alex Ward. <laughs> How much time do we have? We're, we want to hear more from you. If the you want to hear more, yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, little uh, dancing Nile. <laughs> yeah. I um, so yeah, Olivia. I was talking about my partner. Um, things are good. We're still deep in lockdown. Uh, but I think I've talked about in the past that sometimes we have some funny interactions because she, she's always got these creative ideas. But this is the most recent one. The other day, Hannah came in and she said to me, hey, I want to try this thing where we look into each other's eyes for 10 minutes. Jesus. And I said, why would we do that? <laughs> and she said, to create a deeper connection. Oh. And I said, <laughs> I we're engaged. We're in lockdown. I don't think it needs to go any deeper. No way. <laughs> So I was like, why would you want to do this? She's like, because I read about it. I was reading about it. And I was like, I know. I saw you reading. I see everything you do. <laughs> we are deep, deeply connected at this point. And she was telling me that she's like, well, it's something you, like people do with like strangers, you know, and then it makes you have this deep connection within 10 minutes of you look into each other's eyes. And I was like, okay, well, 
good for them, but I'd rather let's try ten minutes not looking at each other. <laughs> but I was like, okay, but I was like, I did think she I was like, why don't you wait and do that with some strangers when the world opens up? And, so, and the truth comes out. She's like, I don't want to do it with a stranger. She's like, what if I do it? And then it turns out that they have like they've got this deep connection to me, but I don't like them very much. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's always a risk when you're going to do something like that. So I just want to tell that little story to let anyone else out there in a relationship know that it could be it could be on my you could be where I am having to avoid deep deep eye connection. I can't even look at myself in the mirror for more than five seconds on a brush. Is there a list of songs that I've recommended, or is is there a top of the list that you would belt out? Songs. Oh, you just sit there. You just stare. No, you just stare at each other's eyes. No, thanks. No. No. Apparently it does something, <laughs> but I don't want to find out what it does, you know. Yeah. Because, like, yeah, you could create a deeper connection or, I don't know, what else could happen? Well, well, I feel like anything else that happens could be very bad. I think so. A lot of, a lot of trauma would come out. <laughs> like my name was pronounced wrong my whole life or something. Um, is there anywhere where we can catch you? I know we're locked down, but uh, do you have any gigs? Kind of, yeah. <laughs> I'm doing uh, Daniel Coddle, uh, comedian, is hosting a Zoom show called First Dose, mm-hmm. uh, First Dose Comedy on Tuesday nights, and I'm going to be doing all new material at that. Cool. Uh, well, Alex, thanks very much for joining us. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Alex. Triple R. You've been listening to a podcast of the best bits of the Breakfasters, which is the Monday to Friday breakfast show broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia. Feel free to get in touch with Breakfasters via Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or via the Triple R website.